going to double back and, and, and read a section of Psalm 119 that we read just a few weeks ago. It's on page 515 if you're using a church uh, pew Bible. I want to begin reading at um, uh, verse um, 132 and read down through 135. So Psalm 119, beginning at verse 132. These are God's words for us. And here's what God says to us this morning. Turn to me and be gracious to me. As is your way with those who uh, love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppressions. Uh, oppression that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word, for there is no word like your word. We're thankful that you've given us your word. We're thankful this word is living and active, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And so we pray that, that your sword would be wielded in transformational ways this morning as an act of worship, that, that our hearts would look to you and look at your word and see you in and through and by your word. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Well, when we're done this morning, we'll be done with Psalm 119, at least for now. We started back in the fall. We took a break. We picked it back up in January, and and now we're wrapping things up. Psalm 119 teaches us, holds out to us something of the functional and practical value of God's Word in the life of a follower of Christ. 176 verses, longest chapter in the Bible, sliced up with with 22 eight-verse units, organized around those 22 units in accordance with the the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, and how each eight-verse unit underscores to us from one angle or one facet or another something that is necessary and beautiful and warranted concerning God's Word. Well, as I came to the close, I wanted to, as we finished uh, the 176 verses last week, I, I wanted to do one more sermon from Psalm 119. I just thought, what's the, now the best way to wrap this up? And... Uh, I don't know if this is the best way to wrap this up, but this is the way that, that uh, I sense is a good way to, to wrap this up. And what I was drawn back to is some verses that I've just read that we had read and spent some time in that eight-verse eight unit um, a few weeks ago. And I, I was drawn to them. I was struck by them. I was surprised by them. And, and, and honestly, uh, ever since I read them, I've been fascinated and drawn back to them. In particular, verse 132, the language of turn to me and be gracious to me. 
as is your way with, with those who love your name. So the notion of turn to me and be gracious to me, coupled with what I read in 135, make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. So the, the, this notion of be gracious to me and make your face shine upon me, that, that I alluded to this when we were there a couple of weeks ago, that that verse reminded me, that verse reminds us, that verse is tethered to a, a, another uh, passage of Scripture found in Numbers chapter 6. Particularly, let me read verses 22 to 27 of Numbers chapter 6. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying... So this is something the Lord said to Moses, and, and this is what Moses is going to say to Aaron and the priests. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them... So, so Aaron, um, tell Aaron, this is what he's to say to the people. This is what it is. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name, they, I think is probably Aaron and the sons, so, so shall Aaron, so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel. And I will bless them. This morning, as a way to wrap up Psalm 119, I I want to explore one feature in particular. Um, the, 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 The feature there in 135 of Psalm 119, make your face shine upon your servant. And couple that with... That, that beautiful statement in Numbers 26. The Lord make His face shine upon us. And what I want to do is I want to trace uh, through the Scriptures this notion of the Lord's face shining upon His people. The Lord's people being able to experience something of a face-to-face relationship with the very God who made us. So what I hope to do for a few moments, this will just be a a partial exam. There's no way we could do an exhaustive study, although I did put two brand new batteries in my uh, uh, microphone a minute ago, so we could go longer if you wanted to. Um, But but what but, but I want to do is I, 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 I want to explore uh, uh, the biblical reality of, of concerning the notion of seeing the face of God, of experiencing a relationship with God face to face. And then, and then after I meander through the Bible and, and explore that notion, then I want to make a point. So I do plan to make a point. It doesn't mean I'll make a point. It just means I plan to make a point. You get, you get that. So let me start at the end of the Bible. In Revelation chapter 22, here's what we read. This is where all this is heading. Beginning at verse 1 of chapter 22, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, 
bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. Now listen to this. And they will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. And, and, and there will be no, 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 no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Do you see our destiny? All who belong to Jesus, all who this morning are trusting in the perfect life, the perfect sacrifice, our risen Lord, who's at the Father's right hand, who will come back for us, all who belong to Jesus have this promise that we will have new bodies in a new earth in which heaven comes down, in which God will be present with us, in which we will see the Lord face to face. But that's not only our destiny. That's also something of our heritage. I don't know if you've noticed it. You might have noticed it just by reading it just now. But there is incredible parallels between the last three chapters of the Bible and the first three chapters of the Bible. You might have noted it, but you think, what's a tree of life doing there in Revelation 22? I thought it was back in the garden. Well, see, there you go. There are, there are these beautiful parallels between how it, how it wraps up and how it starts up. And, and the reason I point that out is because in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve went and did what God told them not to do, and they, they rebelled against God by eating the fruit, and immediately there was an aftermath, a fallout from that. And, 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 and listen to Genesis 3, 8, that reminds us that seeing the face of God was not only, is not only our destiny, it was once our heritage says there in Genesis 3.8, And they, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. So in some sense, there was a a physical presence or manifestation of the Lord. And I mean, in in essence, probably the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the... Now, the, the English Standard Version says the presence of the Lord, and, and that's a perfectly fine translation, but literally, literally, they hid themselves from the face of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. What does that imply? I think it implies that before Adam and Eve ate the fruit and rebelled against God, guess who they had to hang out with face to face in the garden? 
So it's not only our destiny. All who belong to Jesus will one day see the face of God in Jesus Christ. But that was our past heritage as well. And, and, and here both as a, as, a, as a horrendous tragedy, but, but now also a profound grace, Adam and Eve hid from the face of God in the garden. Sin has altered our very desire. They, they no longer desired to see the face of God. Of the Lord, they now feared seeing the face of the Lord, and, and there's certain winches. Well, there's a sanity to that, because in their state of rebellion and sinful state, if they would have seen the holy face of God at that moment, there would have been a need for body bags in the garden. No longer would Adam and Eve be allowed to visit with the Lord face to face. I would suggest to you no longer did they have enough sense to know that they should want to visit with the Lord face to face. So thus is our destiny. Thus is our heritage. We were made by God in His image, in His likeness. To live with Him face to face. Nothing, no one can substitute for this experience for which we were made and now in Christ Jesus we are being remade. Now as the Old Testament unfolds, Uh, There are a few brief encounters, a few uh, little uh, snapshots, if you would, of people encountering the Lord face to face. Uh, I think of uh, of, uh, Genesis uh, 33, uh, where where Jacob, uh, on the eve of catching up with his brother, uh, visits with the Lord, and he says there in Genesis 33, 20, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life uh, has been delivered. In other words, I've seen God, and I'm alive to tell about it. He didn't kill me. His holiness didn't overwhelm me. He protected me. Of course, the most famous of Old Testament characters who experienced something of the face of God was Moses. In Exodus 33, 11, we're told, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face. Deuteronomy 5, verse 4, underscores that as well. And we also know concerning Moses that... that, that um, When Moses would come down from the mountain after seeing the Lord, visiting with the Lord, hearing the Lord face to face, that that, that, that seeing this very glory of God had altered Moses' face. Remember, he he used to have to put a veil on his face because he would scare the people after having visited with God. It it, it says there in Exodus 34, 34, that the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. He was literally, spiritually, physically altered over the grace 
of seeing the glory of God face to face. So what do we mean on the one hand about we get to see the face of God? We get to live face to face with God. That's our destiny. That's our heritage. And we see these snapshots of people experiencing that in the time being, in between. Really what we're talking about is, is how in Christ Jesus, people get to have a, a closeness of the presence of the Lord in our lives. It's close. It's personal. It's intimate. It's real. And yet, this, this imagery of face-to-face with God, seeing the face of God, is also symbolic. Even the very notion of the Lord, may the Lord lift up his countenance, which really, really Garen, it's not the word countenance there, it's just the word face. The Lord lift up his face. What does that mean to lift up his face? Well, rather than the Lord look at you like, the Lord looks at you like, yeah, right? Or something like that. You know, I don't want to particularly pretend I have the corner on what that looks like. In other words, it's, it, it's to see God, God's face, to experience God face to face means that this close, personal, intimate, real uh, um, uh, presence of the Lord in our lives is also symbolic of the Lord's smiling posture to bless his people with grace, with peace, with joy, with hope, with strength. I don't know, fill in the blank. Whatever it is we need, we derive what we need from this notion of the Lord turns his face toward us and smiles. The Lord blesses his people. We were made to exist off of the smiling face of God. But there's a new twist as we go through the Old Testament, a new twist in the development of, uh, of, of, of experiencing God's face and, and living face to face with God and all of the joys of, of, of that blessed state and all of the provisions of that blessed state. And, and that is when we come to number six that we read earlier, uh, the new twist is that it's, it's not just our destiny. It's not just our heritage. It's not just for a, a few um, of the green berets in the family of God, the, the high echelon like Jacob and Moses and those guys, uh, but, but ordinary folk with the sacrificial system in place, with the, with the functioning priesthood in place, that's now when the Lord says, Hey, Moses... Tell this to Aaron and his sons so that his sons, Aaron and his sons, would, would instruct God's people that this is what you need. This is what the Lord desires. In other words, through the sacrificial system, through a functioning priesthood, there's, there, the time was now to restore something of Something of. Not, we're not in Revelation 22 yet. We're in number six right now. But something of living with the Lord face to face. Living in such a way that, 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 the, that the very smiling face of God will be constantly and continually upon and toward his people. 
We were made for that. That's our destiny. That's our heritage. And now through the mediation of a sacrificial system and now through the mediation of a functioning priesthood, the time was right for this next stage into development of living with God face to face. It's now a profound, not a full and final, but but nonetheless a real and genuine, a time for for a return of the Lord's face toward his people through the mediation of a priesthood and through the mediation of a sacrificial system. Now this gets bumped up on steroids big time when Jesus comes, who becomes the real point of the symbolism of the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, who becomes the real and the ultimate priest of God. So Israel, Israel uh, was now through the priesthood and through the sacrifice, sacrificial system, they now had a mediator in place for, for, for the Lord's presence to be with them. And we could go on. We could, we could look at, uh, at various uh, stopover points um, uh, uh, through other historical books, through the Psalms, through the prophets. We could explore much more that could be said about what the Bible says to us about how you and I were made by God to see God face to face, to live in in a personal experience with God that we might have his smiling face turned toward us and not live with his back turned against us. Psalm 4. And this is David in a hard spot in life. This is David in Psalm 4 in a moment of, of, of agony and affliction and persecution. There, it says there, there are many who say, who will show us some good? And David says, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. So, Lord, what do I need? I'm in the middle of suffering. I'm in the middle of, of difficulty. But, Lord, what do I need? I, I need the, the light of your face upon me. And then he says this, you have put more joy in my heart than than they who have their grain and their wine abound. He's in the midst of trouble. This is not a good day for David. And, and, and yet in the midst of trouble, in the midst of a, a hard day upon David, what, is he, what does he think he needs? Lord, I need your face to shine upon me. And, and when your face shines upon me, my heart is happy. It's, it's happier than, than I've got full grain and lots of wine. Very vivid Im- imagery of, of what we think we might need to make us happy. Or in Psalm 27, verses 8 and 9. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You see where the psalmist is getting this stuff? It's like... Hey, you can't be bossing God around. Say, hey, God, be gracious to me and answer me. This is not the psalmist bossing God around. This is the psalmist knowing what number six has said to him, how through a mediator and through a priesthood, we can actually go before the throne of God's grace and say, God, be gracious to me. Hear my cry. 
fact, the psalmist goes on in Psalm 27. You have said, seek my face. In other words, Lord, I'm asking to see your face. But this is your initiative. You're the one who put this thought in my heart. You have said, seek my face. So my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. And of course, Israel, this is a, an ongoing failure of Israel. Israel was not simply to be that treasured nation that saw God face to face, that got to live with God's face turned toward them in a smiling way. But, but, but Israel was to be, a, in a way, a, a, a nation of priests to mediate this blessing to all the world. In Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6, it says, You are my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Couple that with, go back later and look it up and see the the profound significance, therefore, when we get to uh, Psalm 67, which invokes the uh, Aaron's prayer there of cause the Lord's face to shine upon you and, and how the psalmist then uses that for a base of operations for God's people to not only have the, the face of the Lord shine upon us, but, oh God, may your face shine upon all peoples. May all the nations praise your name. That takes us then back to Psalm 119 for a moment in the development of this thought throughout the Scriptures of There's our destiny. We will see the face of God. And there's our heritage. Our people once lived in the presence of the Lord, seeing His face. And and how there were episodes throughout of people seeing the the face of God. And and how through the... Through the mediation of sacrifices and a priesthood uh, that we're once again allowed to experience something incrementally or partially of seeing the, the face of God. So the psalmist says now back in Psalm 119, verse 132 and 135, turn to me and be gracious to me. So do you see where we have this ideal from? This is... Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Make your face, 135, make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statues. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statues. God's word is a profound, crucial instrument by which you and I, right here, right now, today, are able to see something of the face of God. Cause your face to shine upon me and teach me your statutes. Why do we read our Bibles? Why do we want to saturate uh, our worship with Bible? Why do we want to make a, a to-do about putting God's Word on this desk and preaching from it? Well, on the one hand, there's several layers of explanation there. We, we, want, to, we want to do this because we want to know how to live. We, we want to know how to make right choices. We want to know what it looks like and what it consists of to live a certain way ethically and, and morally. 
And God's word helps us to know how to live, how to make good choices, how to live morally and ethically. In fact, it's the, it's the perfect and most true source of, of these sort of things, how to live. Second, we, we want our Bible because we want to know what to believe, what's true, what what's, what's reality consists of, what are the doctrines and what are the beliefs. God's Word is true. Everything about it, what it says, it teaches us what we are to know and believe. It, it, God's Word, we want God's Word in our lives because it's, it guides us, it comforts us, it changes us, it strengthens us, it alters us, it enables us. And, and yet, on top of all of that, there's, a, there's an even grander design to why do we fuss with the Bible? The act of learning God's written word is the current equivalent and the current medium or media uh, through which we behold the Lord's shining face. Don't want that? Don't think you need that? Stay away from the Bible. Because you're dabbling with something really powerful. But you want it? You want to see something of the face of God right here today? Not just knowing that it's coming one day. Not just knowing that we used to be that way one day. But, but here and now, you want that. You're convinced that you need it. <laughs> you want to be convinced that you ought to need it. Then open God's book. Make your face to shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. We, let me, let me identify a couple of assumptions that I'm working with as I bring this to a close. First, the first assumption is that we are wired to turn our face somewhere, toward something. We are made to look at and to stare at things. That's why you got eyeballs. Those are not put there just so you look cute. We stare at what we desire. I, I don't know if you noticed it. I don't know if you get this or not, but on my iPhone, every Sunday morning, I get an update on how much screen time, how much face-to-face time I've spent with my phone this week. Mm. Wouldn't it be incredible if we also had a little alert sent to us every week that sent to us an update on how much face time we spent in God's Word. 
Now, I know sometimes it's overlap because maybe you read the Bible from... Anyway, there's always... I'm speaking in generality, so... But A, we are wired to look at something. We are, we are wired to be people who stare at, and we stare at what we desire. And, 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 and we stare at what we believe will provide us what we think we need. Second assumption is we are designed to be changed by what we stare at. Don't you, you and I, if we stop and analyze it, we, we intuit this. I mean, I mean, what is it about why we wake up in the morning and we grab that there phone? Because we get a buzz from what we're staring at. We, it's already doing its work to change us. It, we, we get an, an adrenaline fix uh, when, when, we, when we see something, we read something. And so we just, I mean, it, it's, it's almost gotten to the point where it, it's like in, it, we wake up and instinctively we grab the coffee and we grab the iPhone. And, and there's, there's, our, there's our, the two members of our alternative uh, 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 trinity that we live for and that we appeal to change us. There's a book that was written a few years ago. Um, that is um, utterly fascinating how our iPhone is changing us. And it's not just an iPhone per se. You're like, whew, I don't have an iPhone. <laughs> I guess the problem's over. The, the point really is, is, that, is, that, is that things change us. What we stare at changes us. The psalmist is saying, make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. Lord, I, I want to see your face. I want to see your face through your statutes. Knowing that I've been made to stare at something. Knowing that what I stare at changes me. Knowing that I stare at what I desire. And yet knowing that what I, what I stare at then alters and recalibrates um, my desire. Blaise Pascal, the 16th, uh, 17th century mathematician and philosopher, said this, All of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Now, since that's not Holy Scripture, I'm going to, add a, I'm going to put an, ad, a, 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 an additive to the back of that. All of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room with his Bible open, staring at his Bible. And I know that's simplistic. Um, and that's maybe an overstatement, and yet it's not. There's multiple layers of explanations to life. If I was to say, hey, why did those um, Twin Towers fall on, on September 11th, 2001? Why did they fall? And it would be correct for them to say they fell because of gravity. And you say, Joe, there's a bit more to it than that. Well, fundamentally, if there was no thing like gravity, then those towers wouldn't have fallen. So it's, 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 it's not the whole explanation, but it's a true explanation. It's just like, so so when, we, when we say that the source of my problems, all of humanity's problems stem from the fact that I don't have the ability to sit quietly in a room alone with just God and his Bible, 
There's, there's, I get it. There's more to it than that. But, but that's no less true because of that. Now, fast forwarding just for a second, and then we're done. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. In other words, as we behold the glory of the Lord, as we see the glory of the Lord, it's something's happening to us. We are being changed into this vision of the Lord that we see. It says there, from one degree of glory to another. In other words, a little bit of time, but nonetheless, it's change. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. In other words, the reason why we open our Bibles is, is, is multi-layered, but but chief among which is we want to see the face of God as it currently will be manifested to us. And, the, and, and ultimately the way that we get to see the face of God, the, the face that we will ultimately one day see that we now get to partially see is the face of Jesus being revealed to us through the pages of Scripture. Why? Because there is no other Savior. There is no other mediator. There is no truer priest. There is no greater king. There there is no other Savior than Jesus. And the Word of God tells us lots of things. But what it mostly tells us is who this Jesus is and what he has done. And when we comprehend that by the Spirit of God, then the light bulbs are thrown on and we see something of the glory and beauty of God revealed to us in Jesus through the pages of the Scripture by the very kindness of the Spirit. Or in the language of 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Father, help us now that whether we're gathered in this room, whether we're in Bible study, whether we're in conversation with others, whether we're in a room by ourselves, Father, that, that your word would show us Jesus, that we would see, in fact, something of the face of Jesus, that the eyes of our hearts would be opened, that we would be, behold something of the power and the beauty and the majesty of Jesus. Change us as we see this. Satisfy us as we see this. May we be your witnesses to others that we might show them what we see. Lord, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.